You are now listening to Sierra Unraveled, hosted by yours truly. I am a single mother who finally released myself from a toxic relationship with the help of God, of course, so I can pursue my wildest dreams. Tune in every week for some crazy stories, real life drama, and motivation to keep going. You got this. Being a mother is one of the most difficult jobs I've taken under my belt. Luckily, I believe most of the required skills come naturally to me. Some of those things may include multitasking like ignoring temper tantrums, losing out on all of the sleep, getting kicked in the face by kangaroo jack strong toddler legs during a diaper battle, cleaning and eating with the same hands, I know gross, but otherwise it's not going to get done, watching your potty mouth so the little parrots don't repeat the bad words that come out of your mouth when you stub your toe trying to run and get them out the door, watching and listening for any sign of unnecessary or necessary interference, like your life depends on it, and most importantly, protecting the entire safety of your heart running around outside of your body. I only have one child, and I don't even know where I would begin if I had multiple. Lord, and if I had to do it alone, I think I would just put a giant sign in my front yard that says, just please pray for me. Today, I get to chat with a mom of three who is chasing herself on a self-love journey while recovering from an abusive relationship. I hope that you get to take away a little insight from our conversation. Moms deserve way more credit, I swear. Welcome to Sierra Unraveled, Miss Samantha. Thank you for having me, Sierra. I'm so excited. <laughs> me too. I can't wait for what we talk about today. So can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I am a, well, by profession, I'm a self-love coach. So I'm a life coach. Um, I work with women who have been through narcissistic um, abuse in their lives, um, and I help them kind of work through that abuse and then um, learn how to love themselves again. Because a lot of the time when we're in toxic or abusive relationships, we lose parts of ourselves. And um, one of that being the love for oneself. Um, and the antidote for narcissistic abuse is really a self-love. Um, and so I found that with my clients, um, it's really important to do that. Um, I'm also a mother of three. Um, I have an 11 year old, a seven year old and a six year old, and they are very crazy, but I love them. <laughs> um, they are my world and, um, I wouldn't be where I was today without them. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of who I am. And, um, I've been in a abusive, obviously, like I said, abusive relationship, um, for about, or I was for about 12 years, um, with my ex-husband, he is a sociopath and it was really, it was a really rough time a really rough 12 years. So that's kind of why I do what I do. So what were you doing before you got into the self-love coaching? I mean, obviously when it's going on, you don't really realize it's going on and you're just trying to do what you can to keep going and just surviving more than anything. But were you working during that period of time? Were you, was it a big transition for you to switch over into the career you're in now? Um, yes. Um, yes and no. Before this, I was in school. I was going to school to be, um, actually, my dream job is to be a therapist. Um, so I was trying to get my bachelor's in um, family studies. Um, and so last year I was doing that. And then we had some stuff happen with my ex-husband 
and we had to leave where I was living and move closer to family. So I've had to kind of readjust my life um, due to him and his chaos. And this kind of is just like where my heart is, is with other women who have gone through this because it can, it can turn your life upside down. Literally. So do you share custody right now or no? No. So in our divorce at that time, we had had a restraining order on him. Um, and during my divorce, he was harassing me. And so I had got another restraining order on him and um, asked for full custody of them. And I was granted that he signed the paperwork. And um, so no, he doesn't have any custody. And if he wants custody, he has to do a bunch of things like go to therapy. He has to be supervised. Uh, he has to go through drug and alcohol counseling. Um, so the list kind of is long. May I ask what state um, your divorce was finalized in, like where you were fighting with your case? Yep. It was in Tennessee. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I know things are different in every state. Yes. So he doesn't have any contact with the kids at all? Not really. Not anymore. Like if he wants to talk to them, he has to go through like a third party. So gotcha. Um, it would have to be, and he's not even in the States. He lives um, in Amsterdam. Okay. So. so if their birthday comes around or something and he wanted to send them something, would that be interfered by the court? They're not allowed to receive it? Like um, He doesn't know where I live, so okay. he couldn't send it to me um, anyways. And he's yeah, he wouldn't. So it's like a no contact order for, for the sake of him not getting like locked up or anything like that. Um, he just yeah. is trying to obey what precautions you've put in place. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Do you think that, I don't know, cause life is so unpredictable in the future, things might change with your relationship with him or your relation, his relationship with the kids as they get older? Um, I don't think so. Um, only reason is, is because he is a sociopath and sociopaths don't change. His way of doing things is so different than a normal person. And he wants to hurt people on purpose. So my thing is I have to shield my children from him. Um, I think the only way that they would ever have a relationship with him would be if someday when they're adults, they choose to, and they want to have that time to ask him questions or, you know, explore that farther. But when they're grown, as they're growing up and I'm in control of the situation, no. I gotcha. For their safety, it's their best interest to keep them at bay. And it's really just nice to be able to talk to another mom who's also on the flip side of it. So right now we have my daughter's father and I have joint custody. Um, in the beginning, I wanted full physical custody and him to only have legal custody just because there are some underlying issues that do need to be resolved, but nothing has come up to the point where it's like, taken his parenting rights away, if you will. Um, I did bring a lot of like evidence to the table originally when I went in. I didn't want to do overnights, but I agreed to them originally because the judge said that, or he agreed to do al alcohol monitoring tests while he had her. And then that was only supposed to go on for a two month period. But then he was not taking them on time. He was just doing it whenever he wanted. And then like, he was also supposed to be sending like a video of it when it was going on and that wasn't happening. So I tried to like fight that. And then I got in trouble because I tried to fight it. And then he moved what residence three residences. I know it's bad. And then he moved residences three different times in the course of like six to nine months. And I was like, these aren't these red flags to the judge that like my daughter's not in a safe, consistent environment. He's doing whatever he wants. He's not listening to anyone. And the judge is very pro dad. The friend of the court stepped in and did an evaluation and they wanted to take away his parenting time as well and limit him to only three or four hours a week with her and he wasn't allowed to transport her or anything like that 
he's careless, reckless. He doesn't really, I think, I mean, he could have someone else blow for him if he wanted to, but he's just, like I said, doing the bare minimum to get by. So like literally the only thing that like gets me through is just like pray to God, like, please protect my daughter. Cause I don't really know what's going on over there. So it's a mess. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That sounds like a mess. And that sounds like it's hard for you to probably feel at peace with that decision, you know, and the decision that the court made. And a lot of times we don't have, I mean, all the time we don't have, we don't have the decision-making that a judge does. So the judge gets to make that decision, even if it's maybe not the right one, you know? Yeah. So the one good thing that happened out of the court stuff is that he really said he wanted to be a dad. Now he actually has to be a dad because when I was trying to enforce it and give him the opportunity to do so, he wasn't taking it. And all it did was make my life more complicated. Well, that's good. Yeah. And sometimes there is the silver lining in the court system too. And, and it sounds like he's somewhat stepping up, you know, as a father and, you know, maybe as time goes on, he'll get better. But yeah, I mean, the alcoholism part of it, I totally get. I mean, my ex-husband was the same in that regard. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. It's very sad. And it's like, I, I think it's even come to the point sometimes it's like being around people who drink like that makes me really afraid to even drink at all, period. And I'm like, I'm okay if I never drink again in my entire life because like I can see how it's messed up people's lives. And unfortunately, it's something that he's been surrounded by his whole life and his family. So I think that that plays a big role in his, how he handles stuff now and he thinks it's okay or he doesn't see an issue with it because it's all he really knows. Right. So. And habits like that are really hard to break. I mean, habits are hard to break, period. But when it comes to addictions, it's it's a really, really slippery, hard slope to deal with. Yeah. Kids are a very big part of your life since you have three. What is yeah. it like being a mother of three? Oh, man. Um, it is messy. It can be chaotic at times. It's very busy. But I always kind of say this, like, I always have my three best friends with me all the time. You know, like I have adult friends, obviously, but, but I mean, my kids are my best friends. Like my 11 year old, he's like the most wise, kind, smart person I've ever met. And, you know, my daughter is very artistic and funny and loving. And then my youngest is really science oriented and very sweet and cuddly. And they're just, you know, you see the best parts of you and your kids. And so it's just interesting as they age, you know, they just become your best friends, you know? So they're all very different. <laughs> very different. Yeah, definitely. You said you moved back closer to family. So you have help, I assume. Yeah. My mom and my sister both live where I moved uh, back to. Um, and uh, yeah, they really are. They are the most help that I've gotten the last. I mean, I was like when I was with my ex-husband, I had no help. Like he would isolate us from everybody. So it was just me doing everything for years. Um, and so now that I'm back somewhere where I have that support, it's like night and day difference. Yeah. You have more time for yourself. You get to take a break. I mean, it, it's hard when you have no support whatsoever. How long have you guys been separated? Your ex-husband and you? Um, about three years. So they were yeah. old enough to remember how, what it was like before. So yeah. do you think that they're happier now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They all have said that to me. They're, they have all said, especially my oldest, like, don't ever go back to dad. I mean, never go back there. I mean, and just the way that they were, like, they misbehaved so much. And like, they were so stressed all the time because I was stressed. And I think when you live in a toxic environment in a toxic household, children pick up on it 
and they can't help but act out because they feel the tension in the house all the time. And so, yeah, now they are doing amazing and thriving and it's a blessing. Yeah, that's really nice. And that's something that I also have to cope with as well, even though it's not in the same household, like my daughter's being bounced around back and forth every two days. So she spends time with me, she spends time with him, and I'm not sure what's going on over there. I haven't spent time with them together, like getting to be a little bit older now that when she comes home, she's acting up more. When she throws temper tantrums and I ask him about it, he's like, oh, she doesn't act like that with me. And I'm like, part of me is like, he's lying. What does he mean she's not acting like this when she's with you? And like, she needs my undivided attention. She's a toddler, you know? That was a dig at you because he wants you to feel like, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, like she doesn't do that at my house. It's like, well, okay. Well, then obviously you're either not watching or you're just lying. So that I feel bad. Like something that I did wrong when you did nothing wrong. So don't let that. And that's, and that's how our relationship is all the time. That's why I try to like limit our conversations to only texting. So there's written exchange. I try not to talk to him on the phone a lot. When we, when he comes to get her, I go to drop her off. I don't really talk much. We were just at gymnastics together. And that was the first time we've had to spend like an extended amount of time together since I've been like changed, like how I interact with him. And it was really awkward. Like I stayed across the room. I'm like, you don't really exist to me anymore because the minute that I let you try to let you exist, you try to like re retry to exert control over me or try to make me feel a certain way. And that's not healthy at all. And that's what they do. I mean, that's what he's, I don't know if he's a narcissist because I don't know him and I haven't heard enough from you, but that's what they do. They, people do that. Yeah. So for um, my audience, if they aren't familiar with, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the term, but honestly, I had like looked it up like years ago. And then like, since my breakup, I've like learned a little bit more about it, but what's your just general basis definition of that. Of narcissistic abuse? Yeah. So narcissist, well, a narcissist is somebody who disregards people um, and uses them and abuses them in a variety of ways. Um, it could be emotional abuse. It could be psychological abuse. It could be um, physical abuse. It could be spiritual abuse, financial abuse, whatever it may be. And the person that's the narcissist, um, it kind of, well, how do I explain this correctly? Um, there's a type of person and they're, they, they go under the category of cluster B personality disorders. So there's like um, narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, sociopath, a sociopath, and a psychopath. And there's varying degrees. And so somebody who's a narcissist is probably on a spectrum, right? The people that are on the higher end of the spectrum, they're the ones who are going to do the most abusive abusing. And they come from a place of ego all the time. They come from a place of like, everything is about me. Nothing is about you. A lot of times they're serial cheaters or they're um, just alcoholics. Uh, A lot of that comes with, with um, the territory. Um, But yeah, narcissistic abuse specifically is with narcissists. And that's kind of the whole, the broad term. I don't know if that even makes sense. Um, but it's just coming from a person who has an extreme personality disorder and they, they don't even believe that what they're doing is wrong, but a normal, healthy person understands that what they're, what the narcissist or the sociopath or psychopath is doing is wrong. So 
yeah gotcha and i think what what makes it more difficult to distinguish as well is that most of those people that exhibit those personality disorders or traits anything like that will never they're never going to get a diagnosis for it because they don't want to come to terms with it and i feel like normal people if someone ever even referenced that that might be wrong with me like i would go see a doctor to find out like i need to know the truth because i don't want to be that kind of person it's not a nice way to be but they're so like they don't think like that they don't care no they don't have empathy. A lot of times what's lacking in people with personality disorders is they don't, they don't, they lack empathy. I don't know so much about borderlines, so I'm not going to touch on that too much. Borderlines, I kind of don't know enough about, but I know for like sociopaths, psychopaths, and narcissists, they just, there's something in their brain that didn't either didn't develop right or developed wrong, but they just, they don't feel the empathy for people that normal people feel. And so they don't want to change because they literally, they think that they're better than everyone. Right. And so if they think they're better than everybody, they're not going to want to change or get the help that they should get. So. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I'm, I'm probably never going to know. I mean, like my therapist has asked me like, Sierra, why don't you just go, request through the courts that he have a psych evaluation because he might not all be there. And like, I know he's taken medication in the past for things like minimal that don't relate that, but all of those could be symptoms or pieces of the puzzle that no one really is going to understand, but he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't, he doesn't want to know himself. And he knows that if that, if that is projected on him, like, I don't even know what that would do to him. It might make the situation worse for not just for him, but for all of us. Yeah, because now he has to come to terms with it, and and it's crazy because it's weird. I didn't even think about this until now. But when we were together, I was researching, like, googling um, what it's like to do, like, to date someone who might have like personality disorder or have mental illness, and like, how can I cope with it? Because like, I'm a naturally just very giving and loving person, and it sucks because it's like I feel like I get taken advantage of because of that, or I get put in a position where I'm more subject to be in a relationship with someone who's going to take advantage of that. Like they can prey on me easily. And nine times out of 10, if they have an issue, a personality disorder like that or mental illness, they don't even know that they have that. So they're just naturally drawn to me. Like they don't even realize that they're doing it because they're sick and they've never wanted to seek help themselves. So it puts me in a weird position where I'm just like, okay, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I, that was a huge argument when he found out I was doing that. I'm like, literally, I'm just trying to help you, dude. I'm just trying to understand you better so I can help you because you don't want to understand yourself. And that's honestly where a lot of the problem um, can stem sometimes. Well, the thing about personality disorders too, is underneath the grandiose nature of them, there's the, there's this deep, deep shame. Because what happens with narcissists is when, and I read a really good book that's called um, The Human Magnet Syndrome. You should read it, actually. It's by Ross Rosenberg. And it talks about the reasons why codependents and narcissists are so drawn to each other. Because the narcissist wants somebody who's going to take care of them and try to fix them and find out what's wrong with them and love them and make them feel so like they're the most important person in the world. And the codependent wants so badly to be needed and loved and seen and validated because that's how they get their validation, right? Is by being giving. And that's why people like you and me are really giving and empathetic and loving. And the people that prey on that are the narcissists, the sociopaths, and the psychopaths because we are so easily drawn in because we want to help and we want to get them to see who they are. But, but then 
really at the core of it, they have so much shame about who they are that they cannot, if they looked at that, they don't know what would happen because that sense of self they don't have. Like each of us has a sense of self, pretty much healthy people, narcissists and people with personality disorders. They, as a child, at some point, their self got fragmented from trauma. And so a lot of times that frag that fragmentation, it becomes like a shield, like a big shield around them. And they don't even know who they are inside. All they know is this shield of a personality that they've created. And so it would hurt too much for them to, to really dig deep because that would mean they would have to accept the shame and the trauma that has happened to them. So it's so, so sad to even think that people live like that. And I'm like over here, like, Oh, poor him. Oh, no, not poor him. I think, honestly, if it was me, I would be like, poor generational abuse, because that's really what happens is it's generational. That's what it is. It's general. It is. It's generational abuse. And, you know, that's the sad part is like, who's who's to blame? I don't know. You know, it, it could be your great grandfather or great grandmother or whatever. But that's the thing is what you did though, and this is just my opinion, but what you did, Sierra, is you broke that pattern, right? With your daughter by leaving, right? So she's not going to grow up in a household where there's going to be this tension with somebody who's really unhealthy and she won't then pick somebody like him in the future, hopefully, right? So you've done a good thing. You've you've stopped that generational cycle. And that's what I've done too, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really difficult sometimes, but I mean, you, you're three years out. I'm like, we separated in September of 2019 and then we've been officially like cut all ties for almost a year now. Um, like no hanging out anymore, like that kind of thing. Once court really kicked in, because I was just like, I, I asked him not to take me to court. Like I didn't want us to go to court. I was like, we can figure this out. I'm a big enough person. I'm a mature enough person to handle it this way. And then he went and got an attorney anyway and took me. And then I was forced to move back here to Michigan. And I think I really feel like the whole reason why he did it is because he thought that if I moved back, we would get back together. Oh, hell no. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of times they think that they're like, oh, if I get her back, then I can just continue the same cycle and get her to take care of me and do everything else that she's done, you know? It's just, ugh, it's just like such weird thinking. I don't understand. I know. And it's like, as moms, we're raising our kids that can't even depend on anyone else. Like they actually need us. And for you to think that you've come before them, like you can't even take care of yourself. And I have a way bigger job to handle rather than I don't need all that extra stuff on top of me as well. Like I feel good where I'm at. Like I'm very overwhelmed most of the time. I'm stressed out. I, like I said, I'm living up here with no family. I've built a little bit better of a support system and I luckily work a job for a really good friend of mine where like, I only work super part-time, make good enough money where I like can actually still be a very active hands-on parent, but I know it's not going to be like this forever. I mean, she's only two and then eventually she'll start public school and then I'll just soar. But in the meantime, like I kind of just have to make it work to make sure it's going to continue to benefit her because I know that if if I don't, I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't even want to think about it. It won't be good. <laughs> well, you, you will because you're a strong, successful person and you're moving forward and you're living your best life right now. It might not seem like that all the time, but the fact that you're out of an abusive relationship and you're doing a podcast and you're, you know, working a part-time job and you're still supporting your daughter. I mean, that those are huge things. Those are huge accomplishments. 
And, you know, you should be proud of yourself for those things, really. Truly. Well, thanks. Yeah. I'm proud of me. I am. Some days it's hard. Like I told you, like I do take, I do take naps very often if I can, but like sometimes it's just important or if I decide I'm not, I was like, I'm going to go have a margarita and take myself out for tacos today. And I'm like, no, I'm probably just going to lay in bed. Let's be honest. Uh I do so much. I leave the house every day. So (laughs) (laughs) it's all right. Naps, you got to take them, you know? (laughs) So, um, how has motherhood changed you as a person, do you think? Oh, man. Um, well, I was a mother really young. I got pregnant when I was 17. So, um, you know, motherhood has helped me grow into a more self-aware person. I think if I wouldn't have had children so young, I would have gone down such a different path. Like, um, honestly, I probably would have gotten into drugs um, because of what I was doing before I got pregnant. Um, and I probably would have not done so well. So I think for me, um, motherhood has just changed how I look at life. Um, you know, I, I, I look at life just kind of more in the sense of, um, it being not just about me and it's about them. Um, and I think before you're a mother, you know, life is about, you and about, you know, everything is selfish. And I think I've just become really unselfish over the years um, and learned, learned a lot more about myself, I think, than I would have if I wouldn't have had kids, like more deeply into who I am. And I find that it's difficult because some of the things you have to face as a mom are really hard. But at the same time, it's like, I wouldn't have grown if I wouldn't have done that. So do you think that you've done, if you wouldn't have become a mother, you would, wouldn't would have started? Because I feel like, I want to say you wouldn't have healed, but I, I don't feel like anyone is ever fully healed. Like there's always going to be more healing and more growing to do. So do you think that if you didn't have kids, you would have grown in the way, well, you kind of already said you already grow, but I don't know. Do you feel it? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, no, I don't think I would have. I think that I would have partied. And I would have um, wasted a lot of my years, really. Yeah, really I was wild. really, I was really wild. Before. <laughs> I don't want to say I was very, very wild. I just had fun. I was like cautious in some instances, and then other was I was like, why did you? I look back and I'm like, girl, like people always <laughs> laugh at me because I'm like, if I today was my last day, like I lived a really great life. And they're like, what are you like? You're so young. You're so young. I'm like, because I just wasn't afraid to live before. And now I feel like everything I do, I can't just, you know, like you were saying, like, I can't be selfish. Every decision I make, it's not just about me anymore. Anything I do affects my daughter as well. And for people who, who aren't parents, they just, they are, they will literally never get it unless like, God forbid something were to happen and they had to like pick up their kids uh their sister brothers or great I don't even know yeah anyone they had to take custody of someone else's kids or something but until they have their own even as godparents or even aunts and uncles like you still don't get it because it's still not entirely your responsibility until you have that responsibility and it's also like they came from you like you grew them so it's just completely different it is um do you have any suggestions for new parents um, or like people who are just kind of still trying to navigate motherhood? Because I, I know some people when they're like, and when I first had my daughter, she's about to be two now. But when I first had her, they're like, how are you doing so well? Like, it took me years to understand like what it was like to be a mom. And I'm like, 
don't know, it kind of just came naturally to me, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I still don't feel like I have it all figured out. <laughs> well, I don't think we ever do because it, it's like, just like life changes all the time, your children change all the time, you know? And so I think that's like a big thing. I think the biggest advice I would be is just give yourself grace because you're never going to be a perfect parent. You're never going to do always the right thing. You're always going to make mistakes and your children are always going to remind you. And so um, I think grace is like the biggest thing for me is like, just give yourself grace. And just when things are hard, it's sometimes easy to just get really down on oneself. But I think laughing is really important. And just um, remembering that life is about, you know, growth and change and growth and change aren't comfortable. So just to laugh through it is sometimes the best and to have a good support system for sure. New parents, I think it's just hard when you have never done it before. And so having people, other mothers specifically to, to help women. And if you're a dad, having other dads in your life who can kind of help you navigate, you know, the different stages of, of childhood and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And people can't be afraid to be friends with people who are a little bit older or younger than them, because I think every person has has a different um, perspective and might have insight on how to deal with the situation. For sure. Like, For that's sure. really important. It is. So what was the turning point where you decided that you um, needed to walk away from your relationship with your ex-husband? Because I'm sure it was a difficult one to make. You guys were together 12 years, you said, and you were young when you guys got together. So, Yeah. Um, well, he was also a drug uh, addict on and off. Um, and, uh, what ended up happening was he was using heroin Mm. and he was using it in the house and, um, I would find needles on the ground and, um, he would be gone for hours at a time and then would come back really weird. And, um, and we just had a lot of just traumatic things happen within a, like a really short period of time. And I just, there was one day. I remember laying in bed being super depressed and him walking in and saying something really, really hurtful and me just like something just kind of clicked. And I was like, what am I doing here? And I just picked up and got the kids and we left. And I had to literally hide from him for like a year because he wouldn't leave us alone and he was trying to find us. And um, he's pretty abusive, but it's the best thing that I've ever done. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's the best thing. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> you said you when you got up and and you left, or it just clicked for you that day. You just packed your stuff and you were like, "I'm out of here. I'm done." Yeah, yeah. It was wow. it was hard. But so much time had built up, though. You were just probably way past over. You're like, forget this. Like, I already have too much stuff going on. I'm trying to raise three kids, uh-huh. and that's got to be worrisome too. Like knowing that he was using that in the house. One, you have to be worried about the kids. And then yeah. I'm sure deep down, I mean, you wouldn't have stayed or had kids with a man if you didn't care about him, but yeah. you're concerned about him. So for you to yeah. have to worry about a whole grown child and just, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he would have episodes where he would like have seizures from the drugs and I would be terrified. I'd be like, are you dying? Like, what is going on? I mean, it was it is terrifying and it is hard because you do care about them so much. And especially with the history we had had and the trauma bond that we had, it was just so difficult to really break that. And it took, now I'm fine, but it takes years to get over it. Like it took me a good solid two years. I'm over it now, but 
to like really get over him and get over the situation and get over just the trauma, you know? So it takes a long time. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, brought up the trauma bond. Cause I definitely think that there was one of those going on over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you mentioned earlier with like the codependency and the narcissist. Yeah. The, or I'm sorry, the codependency and the. Yeah. The you were right. The narcissist. And the narcissist. Okay. Yeah. How they come together and it just creates a very toxic relationship. Yeah. Um, and like a lot of it stems from both of our childhoods, but like I have addressed it. I'm still addressing it. I'm always going to be addressing, but I'm ready to work through it and get over it. Or I have been working on it to get over it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you just, they're not ready. And if they're not ready to do it, you can't as much as you want them to, cause you, you see their potential and you know, they'd be so much better without it. They might just be that way for life and you don't deserve to go through it yourself. No, no. And you can't be with somebody who doesn't want to change and you're changing. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't work. So, um, you said it took you about two years or so what things helped you cope with separating from him? I mean, you could probably easily, if he was abusive towards you, put those things at the forefront of your mind. Just like, if you go back, this is what, this is what's going to happen. But also like you have to let go of all those memories. And I know you said support system, but was there anything specific that really helped you? And is if you ever have a moment when you're down, you're like reminiscing, like, what do you do? Yeah. So this is actually what I tell my clients to do too, when they're trying to get over their narcissist. Um, I wrote, I remember specifically um, when I first left, this was like maybe six months in and still having trouble getting over it and thinking of like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have left. Like, what if I made the wrong decision? I remember my aunt who I was living with at the time, she said, Samantha, write out a list of all of the things that he's ever done to you that are bad. And look at that list every time you feel like you miss him. And I did. And when I would look at that list, I would like realize all of the things that I'd forgotten. Like, cause you forget them, you know, your mind wants to go to all the rosy times because we want to look at those things when we love someone. But when you're with an abusive person who is an abuser, you know, they're, they're bad outweighs they're good. And so it was really good for me to, to do that and look at that. And I, I still have that journal, but, um, to just look and be like, wow, this is, and she would look, she looked at it too. And she just kind of almost started crying. She was like, Samantha, this is horrible. She's like, you, you should not have dealt with this or lived with this. This is insane. So I think that is what helped me get over it. Um, and also just like visualization, like I'm a very visual person and I, um, I did a lot, I do a lot of reading about like visualizing, like the, the visualizing, like the, the life I want and things. And I would visualize like myself healing. And that was really helpful too. And like visualizing healing myself and, and him, like him and I, like sometimes um, there's, it's kind of more metaphysical, but like there's heart connections between people, I believe like energetic connections. Soul ties. Yeah. Soul ties. Yeah. And so sometimes like I would visualize us together and me breaking that tie. And that was really helpful too, like the visualizing it. Um, and so a lot of like just undoing was kind of what I did as well. So um, where do you see yourself? Um, like, where do you see your future headed now that you're free? I hope that part of your journey is going to be becoming a therapist like you want, because I think you'd be great at it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think for the next, like, five years, I think I'll probably continue coaching and 
maybe do something else as well. I'm trying to make it so my coaching is my full-time job, but, um, and I'm actually part of a nonprofit right now, or a, my mentor is creating a nonprofit for women who have been through abuse. So I'm hoping that will grow and I'll be a part of that. Um, and then I think once my kids are a little bit older to where they don't need, need me physically so much, I think then I'll go back to school to get my degree in either psychology or sociology. And then from there, go to my, get my master's and, and be able to practice. But yeah, I think, I think it's a good, I think my future is bright. I just, you know, sometimes I wish it would go faster, you know, like I wish I could get to that point that I want to be at, you know, and, and have it all done. (laughs) But, um, but that's just not life. So yeah. It's all a part of your journey. It's a part of your process. And yeah, I appreciate you um, sharing your story. I know it takes a lot of courage and it's a whole new level of bravery to do something like this, your first podcast. So I'm really excited that I got to have you on my show. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. And, you know, our children definitely depend on us to determine the trajectory of their lives. It's one of the most important roles that we'll probably ever have, even though if we go on to do other things. But what I will do to my audience, um, I'm you're not quite in our area, but I'm sure you do virtual coaching sessions yes. as well. So yep. um, if you are in search of a self-love coach, I will drop your information, Samantha, on my episode notes. Awesome. Um, and then I also will put the link to the book that we talked about today yes. too. So that way they can grab that if that'll help them. We yes. just want to help everyone as much as possible, especially yep. if we've been in their position. But other than that, thanks for tuning in for another episode. Until next time, stop letting them unravel you because only you can unravel yourself.